Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. I'm recording this on Monday, July 1st, after the biggest free agent day in the history of the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets changing the landscape of the NBA, landing two of the top 10 players in the sport with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant signing on the dotted line to come to Brooklyn. It's going to be a big deal for the Nets. I'm going to be joined by Phil Watson, the editor of the Fanside and Nets site, Nothing But Nets, in just a bit to break down what the moves mean for Brooklyn going forward. Also something a little different for you guys this week. There are a lot of major minor league baseball teams in this area, but there are also some independent league teams as well. I recently have gotten a chance to do a little work on the side with the Rockland Boulders in their PR department, and I'm going to be speaking with one of the members of their front office, my friend Julie Trainer, who is the promotions director for Rockland. We're going to talk a little bit about the Boulders, what it's like to work for an independent league organization, some of the challenges it presents, and some of the interesting things they have coming up, because the Boulders actually have a lot going on right now, so... Check that out. I think it's going to be an interesting interview. Be sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill where I break down the Knicks half of the free agent equation. And they've gotten a lot of criticism for not signing Durant or Irving or pretty much anybody of a superstar level. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I'll explain why at the end of the show. But we'll get it all rolling this week's opening tip where I'm going to break down the latest edition of the Subway Series, and why it's completely irrelevant considering where the Mets and Yankees are at this point in the season, right after this. 1-1 to Didi. Swung on and rocketed to deep right center. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Yes, indeedy. This is the dawning of the age of Gregorius. He homers to right center, and the Yankees take a 12-4 lead. And you thought the streak was over, John Sterling. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call you just heard from WFAN's John Sterling and Susan Waldman. Dede Gregorius homering for the Yankees yesterday in their win over the Boston Red Sox in London. Yankees sweep the series in London, have the best record in the American League, and right now they are in fantastic shape. The Mets are not, and this will lead us to perhaps the least interesting addition of the Subway Series ever over the next two days, starting tomorrow at City Field. The Yankees cruising lead the Tampa Bay Rays by seven games, lead the Boston Red Sox by double digits, and we know exactly where they are right now. Over the weekend in London, they beat up the Red Sox. Those two games, I mean, if you want to introduce London to baseball, no better way than Yankees-Red Sox Nine hours of baseball over two days where they score a combined 50 runs and nobody can get it out. That's really going to market the game well over in London over there. Where they're, I guess they're used to the long matches at Wimbledon over on All Wing, at the All England Club. But, I mean, man, not great luck there when basically all this is is dragging on and on and on and on. And Saturday's game alone took almost five hours. That's a bit ridiculous for a regular season baseball game. But the Yankees do nothing but hit. As Susan Wallman alluded to in the clip at the end of the segment, the Yankees have homered in 31 straight games. So even though John Carlos Stanton is hurt, who cares? They are going to be just fine. They have some concerns with the pitching. Luis Severino is slow to come back. But we all know they're adding an off the deadline. Whether it's Madison Bumgarner, 
whether it's Marcus Stroman, whether it's somebody else, they are getting a big pitcher. Del Batanza is not pitched yet either for the Yankees, but you know what? Their bullpen is loaded anyway. They routinely win games when Chad Green is opening ahead of guys like Nestor Cortez. That is ridiculous. But they are good irrelevant. They're going to win 100-plus games. They're going to roll the American League's title. All we have to do with the Yankees for a while. We're going to check in with them on the deadline, see what they do, see if they add a starting pitcher, who they add, see if they add some bullpen help, maybe a bench piece here and there. Keep an eye on the guys who are injured and see if they don't add any new injuries to this list. And just basically keep an eye on them, make sure they're still okay heading to the playoffs. The Mets, on the other hand, they're bad irrelevant. No one's going to care what happens to them either after this week. This bullpen is abysmally bad. They cough up lead after lead after lead. Perfect example, last Friday, last Thursday, excuse me. Last Thursday in Philadelphia, the Mets are down one nothing this whole game. They have lost four in a row. Todd Frazier hits a stirring home run in the ninth inning, go up 2-1, get an insurance run, go up 3-1. What does Edwin Diaz do? Comes in, two homers, five runs, ball game over, Mets lose. That's the season in a nutshell. Since the end of May, that Met bullpen has an ERA of almost eight. And they get up over 25 home runs. That is ridiculous. It was hard to believe, as a Met fan, that the bullpen get worse year to year when they trade for a guy who got 57 saves a year ago and was striking out the world. It brought in two freezing relievers, including Jerry's Familia back. But it's worse. It's one of the worst bullpens in baseball. The Mets go 10 and 18 for the month. They are nine under 500. And again, just like last June, the season is over before we hit the 4th of July. This team has squandered an all-time rookie season from Pete Alonso. He's going to break the Mets' franchise home run record and hit 50 bombs this year. They're wasting a year with Jeff McNeil hitting over 340. He might win the batting title. They wasted an all-time pitching performance from Jacob DeGrom a year ago. All three of those guys, by the way, Made the all-star team yesterday. This team has three all-stars, and they're nine games under 500. That tells you how comically bad this management is. This is such a joke, and I am just so frustrated with this team. I literally have no desire to go back to City Field this year. And just for reference, last season, when they stunk the joint up most of the time, I went to eight games last year. I went already been to two this year. I don't want to go back anymore. It just doesn't make me happy. I'm just getting more and more angry at this team because of the stupidity of this front office and the owner who doesn't really care about anything. And to make things even more interesting, the clueless manager is still here. Mickey Callaway, curse out reporter, gets slapped on the wrist, still has a job basically because he's a meat shield for Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff Wilpon, basically letting the fans throw all their anger at him. Here's what he had to say about the state of his team last weekend. An interview with Mike Francis in his weekly spot about what was going on with his Mets before they were back up with the Braves. All right, you're eight games under 500. You're 11 games behind the Braves. You're seven out in the loss column in the wild card. You're on the brink here. You got the Braves in, followed by the Yankees. Where is your team right now? You know what? It's, it, we're, in a, we're in a tough spot. It's going to take a miracle. Is your team down? I've seen miracles before. No, they're not. Um, just we're down in the win win loss column. 
that's uh, the bottom line. But our team comes to play every day. They, you know, I think it's because we have a good mix of personnel in here and personalities. We're never going to give up. We understand that we're in a very, very, very tough situation. It may take a miracle to get out of it. Okay, let me start right there. Saying you need a miracle is an insult on 1969 championship team, which the Mets honored terribly over the weekend, by the way. Two problems with the Mets handling the 69 celebration over the weekend. Number one, as pointed out by a friend of the podcast, John Coppinger, who has got, who went to that ceremony and was at that game, the Mets made it clear days before they wanted the fans in their seats at 3 o'clock for the ceremony. And they had a full house coming. So what did they do? They opened the gates at 2.10. Normal time for two hours before the game. They really expected to get 45,000 fans through the turnstiles in 45 minutes? You got to be kidding me. So, of course, they have to delay this ceremony about half an hour, which delays the game half an hour. That's number one. And number two, they actually have a ceremony, which is nice. It was, it was pretty cool. Had a video tribute for those who are no longer with us. Slight problem. They had listed two guys on that video as dead who are still living. This is not hard. This is fact-checking 101. It just is sloppy and careless and says a lot about what this organization is like going forward. Here's another problem here. Oh, by the way, they lost this game before I forget. They lose this game because Seth Lugo gives up another home run late in the game and they blow that one. So nothing changes there. Then I saw this Jemba tweet from Matt Eholt of Yahoo Sports on Saturday, which is, quote, ownership doesn't want to fire Mickey, but if this keeps up and the Yankees embarrass the Mets next week in their own building, that isn't going to sit well at all. Those games are the Mets WS, end quote, and by WS, he means World Series. That says it all. The ownership does not care that the Mets have been playing like one of the worst teams in the National League for a better part of two months. But they care about two games in July against the Yankees. The two games in the Subway Series City Field should not be the Mets World Series. Trying to get to the actual World Series should be the goal here. It doesn't matter. The regular season Subway Series is irrelevant, but the Mets care more about being the Yankees than winning in October. That's a massive problem, and that's why nothing ever changes. It's not good enough. Let's shift away from the Mets and the Yankees because, as I said, both are relevant for a bit. We'll talk more baseball next week. But coming up, I'm going to be speaking with Phil Watson from Nothing But Nets about the big day for Brooklyn right after this. What? happened here well Kevin Durant is going to sign with the Nets four years 164 million dollars he will join Kyrie Irving who is uh, going to commit uh, also tonight he's essentially committed um, already and then DeAndre Jordan uh, will also join this team obviously Durant um, you know it's very likely to sit out the entire season but three full years of Kevin Durant you know Kyrie Irving coming in now and you know, a remarkable turnaround for this Nets organization. All right, we are back on the Justin Suffering podcast. You just heard ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski breaking down the big news of NBA free agency. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and DeAndre Jordan all commit to join the Brooklyn Nets. 
Joining me today is the editor of Nothing But Nets, Fan Science Nets blog, Phil Watson. Phil, thanks for calling in today. How are you? No problem. I'm good. Thank you. All right. Let's dive right into it. So, obviously, you heard the rumors the last week or so that Durant and we knew Irving was coming. We heard rumors that Durant was leading this way. So, what was your first reaction when the Woj tweet came out yesterday that Durant was coming to Brooklyn with Kyrie and the Andre Jordan was coming with them? Um, well, there was a moment of, of pure shock. Then I started breathing again. Um, then I pinched myself and slapped myself across the face a couple of times to make sure I was actually awake. Um, because you got to understand, I've been a Nets fan for almost 50 years, going back to their ABA days. The Nets don't do this. The Nets have never had a day like that. Never. So it's still a little surreal, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. I mean, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm used to them not doing anything very well over the past few years. I can only imagine what it's like for the Nets. Uh, it's, it's, It's been a remarkable change in the atmosphere over the last three years. I will say that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, a big change there. We had the debacle with the Billy King trade. Basically, took all the assets and that's had games of the Boston Celtics for a one run at glory. Didn't work out. And I give all the credit to Sean Marks here because Sean Marks has done an incredible job using his cap space to get assets, finding young players, building that's up to the point that they became an attractive destination for two of the three best rings on the market. So, can you talk about how good a job Marks has done with this franchise? Oh my. Goodness. Um, If they have an executive of all time award, I would nominate him for it. He took over a team that had no draft picks for the next three years, no no first round picks for the next three years, um, no cap space to work with. And in three years, he turned this around while the team got steadily better at the same time. They won 20 years in his first year, full season improved to 28, then this past season improved to 42 in a playoff spot. And that was done, last year's roster had two lottery picks. There was D'Angelo Russell and Ed Davis. That was the end of the lottery picks. And now we're talking about a day less than 24 hours after two of the top 10 players in the NBA, at least by definition, they were both all NBA first and second. Um, have agreed to come play there in three years. They've done that. How long have, you know, not to, not to kick a, not to kick a horse while it's down, but how long have the Knicks been trying to, to rebuild? Feels like about two decades. Yeah. You know, I mean, they traded away the best draft pick they've had since Patrick Ewing to create cap space and saw both of the guys they were after sign in Brooklyn. I mean, that has got to be the worst gut punch for a Knicks fan that, that I can imagine. Yeah, it's pretty bad, I will say. I don't, well, I don't think, I saw Evan Roberts on WFAN Radio up here made a good, good point on his own podcast. He said that the Knicks also tanking and basically destroying their roster to the point where they only won 17 games basically was a big turnoff for guys like Kyrie and KD who were saying, you know what, why would I go there when they have nothing to work with? If I go to Brooklyn, they have a nice roster with a bunch of young players who I can be a good supporting cast for us. Right. And that's what that's the big thing that Marx has been able to do over the last three years, even without the you know, without a, a ton of assets, 
the the scouting that this organization has done has been tremendous. They got Karis LeVert with the 20th overall pick and gave up Thad Young to Indiana to get it. Um, they traded uh, Boyan Bogdanovich to Washington to get a number 22 overall pick and turned that into Jared Allen. They got a 29th overall pick and got a real nice young piece that I think is going to be a rotation player within the next year or two um, in John and Musa. Rodion's Karutz was the steal of the 2018 draft. I mean, he was the 40th overall pick. Nobody expected anything. He's going to be a Long Island Nets guy. He started 46 games and became a cult hero. So, I mean, the, the scouting job they have done in putting this young core together has been absolutely remarkable. Um, and that's not to mention the guys that they pulled off the, the, the dump heap. You know, bringing in a Dinwiddie out of the G League after Chicago cut him. Bringing in Joe Harris from the from off the street after Orlando cut him. After Cleveland let him go for nothing. I mean, and and they've turned those players into legitimate NBA players. Harris led the league in three-point shooting last year. Dinwiddie, had he not hurt his thumb, would have been a finalist for, for sixth man of the year. He wasn't going to win it. Lou, I mean, that's Lou Williams' thing. But he would have been a finalist for the award if he stayed healthy. I mean, and these were guys that they literally pulled off the street. Yeah, it says it all. It just says, you know what, like, the scouting and development is key to building a team in the NBA, which is why, as a Knicks fan, I'm not super disappointed because as long as they can scout and develop, maybe they can do what the Nets did in a couple of years and be in position to get marquee right. guys because the right. Nets built the right way. They didn't tank because they literally could not afford to tank because that would just help the Celtics. And, right, yeah, they, they had no incentive to tank. They were just that bad the first two years yeah. Marks was there. Yeah, they were that bad, but now they're going to be a lot better shape. I mean, it's definitely, I think, the right time because, I mean, you do have some questions. KD with the coming off the injury, you don't know what he's going to be like. Kyrie is notably a moody guy at times, and you wonder how the fit will be in that culture in Brooklyn. And DeAndre Jordan's probably going to take the starting role from Jared Allen, but... Do you think I th- why do you think they felt that right now was the perfect time to say, you know what, we're going all in to win right this moment? Because the opportunity was here right now. Yeah. They had a bunch of the salary dumps that they had taken on. Um, Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, Alan Crabb coming off the books. Well, they they traded to get Crabb off the books. But they had Dudley coming off the books, they had Carroll coming off the books. That was, you know, $32 million in salaries. I'm sorry, $29 million in salaries and $35 million in cap holds that it was opening up. Um, if you can trade Kyrie Irving for D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving, I think you do it every time. I love what D'Angelo Russell did. I love how he matured. I loved what he meant for the organization to help get them to this point. I'm so glad they... They have worked out a deal, so he gets his money, and they, that they help take care of it by, you know, arranging the sign and trade with Golden State. But if you can trade D'Angelo Russell for Kyrie Irving, you do it every time. I mean, the, the Kyrie D'Angelo Russell could be what Kyrie Irving already is, but he isn't yet. If you can make that upgrade for a guy who's still only 27 years old, I think you have to do it. Durant is a risk. He's he's a definite risk. A lot of guys 
in their 30s have not successfully come back from the Achilles injury. But as I pointed out to somebody on social media a little while ago, he's not as hyper-explosive athletically as a lot of the guys that have tried to come back from this. He's He's been transitioning into more of that classic old man game for a while now. Deceptively quick. Quick release on the jump shot. Positioning himself so he can get open. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for a guy like that to come back than a guy whose number one skill is just athleticism. Yeah, I can definitely see that argument, especially when you have like a, a guy like we saw what happened with Wes Matthews out in uh, Portland where he blew out his Achilles. He's never been the same guy because he needs explosiveness to do well. Right. Whereas Durant is more is now transitioning to the point where maybe he becomes more of like a Dirk Nowitzki type in his career, and he could m- make that transition long term. Right. See, I, I liken it, honestly, I liken it, you know, if you want to go back about 20 years, 25 years, to uh, Dominique Wilkins. He he was 32 when he blew his Achilles, and he was already at that point in his career where he wasn't the high flyer anymore. You know, he was a mid-range guy. He was a three-point shooter when that was just starting to become a thing. And he came back and was an all-star again. He averaged almost 30 points a game in his first season back. You know, even though he wasn't doing the highlight reel dunks anymore, his game had already evolved to the point where he was able to to get enough of himself back to make the adjustment. And I think Durant will be able to do that as well. I really do. Yeah, Nets fans are hoping that that's certainly the case. But before we go deeper into that, I want to go back to D'Angelo Russell for one second. Obviously, they pull off the signing trade to get him to the Golden State Warriors to help do him a solid, set him up nicely with financially and a good place to play. So what do you think he's going to do now, D'Angelo, out in Golden State, playing with uh, Clay Thompson, uh, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green down the line? Well, the the reports are that um, Golden State is already looking to move him, Um, possibly Minnesota. So now I'm not sure how that's going to work because there's going to, they, they're not technically going to be able to move him until December or January because of him being a new signing. Um, but there is talk that he's not going to be there for the long term. I do see a scenario where he could be a long-term fit, though. Um, you know, Clay Thompson's going to be coming back from an ACL. Their small forward just went to Brooklyn. Thompson is six foot seven. He's good sized. He's he's a terrific perimeter defender, and he would be the shooter that Durant was from the three spot. You know, if you can get Russell to buy in to playing off the ball more or sharing the ball responsibilities, ball handling responsibilities with Stephen Curry, I don't see a reason why Thompson sliding to the three couldn't work for that team for a longer term. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him because I think Minnesota would be a good fit for him as well with him like playing pick and roll with Carl Anthony Towns. That would be interesting. Yeah. Now, the one thing with the pick and roll, um, I saw a stat last night where D'Angelo Russell ran 80 fewer pick and roll plays last year than the entire Golden State team. That's interesting. D'Angelo triggered 915 pick and rolls for Brooklyn last year. The Warriors as a team ran it 995 times. That could be an adjustment. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do next? Obviously, we saw the big three moves. We saw Gary, we saw Gary Temple last night. Do you think they have anything else in the works, or is this pretty much the roster they're going to roll with? 
Um, I think this is mostly the roster they're going to roll with. I know before defeating Frenzy last night, they had some interest in Quinn Cook, the restricted free agent from Golden State. I know um, Kyrie Irving had reportedly had some conversations about maybe bringing, you know, recruiting in um, Iman Shumpert on a minimum deal. He would be a functional 3 and D wing. Temple, I think, is a functional 3 and D wing. They lose a little bit of size with Carroll going to San Antonio. But, you know, I think Temple would fit. I think Temple fits the culture there. Smart player, defensive-oriented, can shoot the three. I, I, I think I think the Nets are going to be okay with that with that trade out. First question is there: What are the expectations for 2019? Because obviously Durant's not there. Do you think the goal was second round of the playoffs? I think second round of the playoffs may be a surprise um, run to the conference finals. I think they'd be happy with that. And I do think in 2020, they could be a legitimate um, contender. All right, there you have it. That was Phil Watson from Nothing But Nets about the Brooklyn Nets' big day yesterday as they cement themselves into NBA title contenders in the next couple of years. Phil, before I let you go, do you want to know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you're up to? Okay, I am on Twitter at PhilWatsonFS. Uh, I am on Facebook uh, either at the Nothing But Nets page or at Phil Watson. So I'm pretty easy to find. All right, Phil, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. All right, and there you have it. That was Phil Watson from Nothing But Nets talking Nets basketball after the big additions of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Jordan. Brooklyn looking like a super team going forward. Up next, we're shifting from the NBA to a little independently baseball. We're going to talk with a friend of mine who works in the front office of the Rockland Boulders right after this. Fastball swung on, driven out to deep right field. It could be gone. It is. It's a walk-off home run. A two-run shot for Marcus Almonte. Welcome to the Boulders. Senor Almonte, you are tonight's hero. Almonte with the walk-off two-run blast. Another Boulders fireworks extravaganza blast. And Rockland wins it 3-2. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you guys heard was from Rockland Boulders play-by-play man Mark Erne breaking down a game-winning walk-off home run from shortstop Marcos Almonte. The Boulders beat the Sussex County Miners 3-2 on Sunday at Palisades Credit Union Park. And a lot of times they think about baseball, we think about the big leagues or the minor leagues, but there are also a lot of independent leagues. We have one of them right in our own backyard, the Can-Am League, with New York's lone Can-Am representative being the Rockland Boulders. Joining me right now is a friend of mine who works in the Boulders front office, promotions director Julie Trainer. Julie, welcome to the podcast, and how are you? Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm doing well. Okay, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Obviously, a lot of these audience, I'm pretty sure pretty much all that outside of you and me have no idea who the Rockland Boulders are. So you, can you give me a little bit of like history about Rockland, the Rockland Boulders? Of course. So we're an American independent professional baseball team. We're located in Pomona, New York, in Rockland County. We are a member of the Canadian American Association of Professional Baseball, which is also known as the Can-Am League, like you said, um, which we joined that league in 2011. And in that year, we were on the road for the first 
month or so of our season while our park was being constructed. And we opened here at Palisades Credit Union Park on June 16th, actually against the Newark Bears, which is no longer a team. Um, and we won in front of a sold-out crowd. It definitely sounds like a lot of fun way to get things rolling. Definitely. All right. So, obviously, you mentioned they play in the Can-Am League, which for I know it has three teams in Canada, three teams in the New York metro area. Can you tell me a little bit more about this league? Right. So, this league was actually formed in 1936 and then closed in 1951 because there weren't enough major league working agreements for the huge number of minor league teams. Um, and then it kind of turned around in the 80s and then especially in the 90s. And because the majors weren't expanding their farm systems, independent ball served cities that really wanted baseball teams. Um, so the Can-Am League reformed in 2005, which now consists of, like you said, um, the Quebec Capitales, Ottawa, Three Rivers, Sussex, New Jersey Jackals, and us, the Rockland Boulders. So... Six teams, good quality baseball, and it's it's a great league. Yeah, and for those who are not aware, I have I have been at Palisades Credit Union Park quite a bit this summer. I'm helping out over there in the PR department, and Julie is not wrong. The baseball quality is very very good. I mean, the, the guys in this league can play. People just don't. People think of independent league baseball, think oh these guys are not good enough to be in the majors, but they can still play a lot better than any of us out there. Definitely, we've had some. We've had some, a lot of players being called up and a lot of players that have come down. Um, so they're already quality players. Um, some have been injured or kind of rehabbing. So just because it's independent baseball doesn't mean it's not quality baseball. A lot of people are trying to work their way back up or up to start. Yeah, just an example for people who don't realize that earlier this year, I think Rockland had a guy on their roster, Ezekiel Carrera, who familiar to Major League Baseball fans. He spent time with the Cleveland Indians, and I think he was in the Met organization last year. Spent some time with Rockland helping basically get some at-bats and get himself going again. Yeah, definitely. That happens a lot. Um, and they just kind of work their way back up, and a lot of fans like to see it too here. Yeah, so obviously the Boulders have a lot of players coming through, but they've also had a very interesting history. Can you give me some of the highlights of the Rockland Boulders' uh, eight-year history? Definitely. So some of the highlights, at least in terms of the baseball, um, I think the biggest highlight was the 2014 championship. I don't think much can top that in terms of the baseball aspect. I think a lot of players and coaches that come into this um, league and this team they all they want to do is win so I would say that's the biggest highlight um, on top of several players being called up to all levels of affiliated ball um, this year specifically we named Kevin Baez as our ma our team manager and he has had a wealth of experience he had two league titles and six trips to the championship series for the Long Island Ducks um, he's a local guy. He went to Dominican College, which is nice for us. It's a big um, community. A lot of people like to come see him. And he was the seventh-round draft pick in the 1988 um, draft for the New York Mets. So um, he was a great pickup for us. In terms of an organization, we have been named Organization of the Year. Um, we have one of the best ballparks um, that offers a whole 
variety of things for people of all ages. And um, in 2017, when I was an intern here, we welcomed our million fan into the ballpark. And then this season, um, we are hosting the All-Star Game and donating our millionth dollar to charity, which is a big accomplishment for not only the Rockland Boulders as a, an organization and a team, but a huge accomplishment for the community as a whole. Yeah, it's a lot of impressive stuff. And I will admit, I did not heard this organization until I met you a couple of years ago, and then you told me about the Rockland Boulders. So definitely some cool stuff. And one thing that you can relate to is obviously you're the promotions director there now. You're in the entertainment business, like me at the podcasting. One of the problems that we run into is like smaller entities is like getting people to pay attention to us. Whereas like I'm trying to get listeners, you guys are trying to get fans into the ballpark. So what's something that you do in your job? What's how you come up with the ideas to try and generate fan interest in coming out to the park and see the bowlers? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. You know, I think our biggest competition would obviously be major league baseball. In our case, we're right outside the city. So we're competing against the New York Mets and Yankees, which obviously their quality of baseball is something, you know, that is completely out of our league. But you also don't really want to say that because we do have quality baseball. And on top of that, we're extremely affordable and we have a fun family environment. So for my job as the promotions coordinator, I'm kind of always looking for the next big thing and the biggest fad right now um, to always, you know, look to the next thing to kind of draw people in. Yeah, I've noticed that too. A lot of these Miley teens, well, it's sort of like a similar market that you guys are competing for in terms of like just getting like families out to the ballpark. It's like a lot of these have these awesome promotions sort of like Star Wars night or like, I think Seinfeld night or like whatever mm-hmm. fad you have, where it's like different uniforms or whatever. So like, how do you decide, like when you're looking at around and like the social media landscape, you say, Oh, this would be interesting. I think our fans will respond to this. Like, how do you guys come up with that information as a decision? Well, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. Definitely. Um, I saw certain things that I liked as an intern when I was here. Um, a lot of things that worked or didn't work that we either pushed or got rid of, you know. Um, So in terms of theme nights, like you said, Star Wars, like a lot of those big nights, they automatically draw people in. Star Wars is a huge, you know, movie, and a lot of fans are out there. Um, For both Star Wars night and we do Pink in the Park, which is breast cancer awareness, um, we we bid both game-worn jerseys, um, and those go to charity. A lot of people like things like that where they know that they're giving back and they're contributing to something bigger than baseball. So we often try and get sponsors like that and community groups into the ballpark to kind of, you know, bring a different aspect into the ballpark. Okay, you mentioned the All-Star Game before, so I'll get back to it in a second, but what are some of the other interesting like theme nights you guys have coming up for the Boulders and over the next, like, say, month or so? So we have our classic like fan favorites. Star Wars is one of them, like I said. Pink in the Park. We have Beach Bash in late July and Disco Night. We're also holding um, two Irish Heritage Nights this year because last year our one was such a success. Um, and then some of the new things we threw in, we just had Harry Potter night in June, which is a huge franchise and a lot of people always support that. So that was a, a big 
draw for people. And we're holding Seinfeld night in August. So hopefully that is just as a success. Yeah, 30th anniversary of Seinfeld. I'll be excited to be there for that one. So obviously you have fans like me who are, I'll admit, I'm a disgruntled Mets fan, so I'm not very interested in going to City Field this year. I might actually go to Palace's Credit Union Park sometimes, and I'm not working just to check out a game. So what can, <laughs> what can fans like me expect when they go out to the park? Really what we shoot for is affordable family fun. Um, while the quality of baseball is good, a lot of people don't come here for the baseball. They come here because it's a beautiful ballpark, we have a playground for the kids. We have a mini golf course, a nine-hole mini golf course. Um, we have a train that takes the kids around the ballpark, different um, concessions. We have Thirsty Thursdays in our bridge bar. So we kind of hit something fun for every person of all ages. So it's a great night here, especially when the weather is on our side. Yeah, and Julie is right. I've been there. It's a beautiful ballpark, so definitely check it out if you have the opportunity. And one thing next week, big event for the bowlers. They're hosting the Can-Am League All-Star Game. The Frontier League, they're taking on the Frontier League's team, team of All-Stars. They're coming in next Wednesday. Can you break down some of the events that are happening in terms of All-Star Week for the bowlers? Yeah, we're really excited about hosting this and showcasing both leagues. Um, this is the first time we're ever hosting an all-star game, and the Frontier League is the longest-running independent league. It's consisted of 10 teams stre- stretching from Pennsylvania all the way to Missouri, and they've had over 1,200 players that have signed with MLB organizations. So we're definitely going to have some of the best independent pro baseball players in our ballpark, um, and we're we're looking forward to you know hosting an event worthy of of that talent. Um, the teams have just been announced. The Boulders have five players. Um, and just to break down some of the events on Tuesday, July 9th, we're having an all-star luncheon. It benefits our Boulders community fund. And we have New York Yankees broadcaster, John Sterling as our guest speaker. Uh, and then following that is our home run derby at seven thirty, And it's featuring a legend team. Uh, which consists of Mookie Wilson, Jesse Barfield, and John Flaherty. So there will be an autograph session for that. There will be pregame entertainment. Um, and then Wednesday, July 10th, we'll be hosting the game at 7 o'clock. There will be pregame entertainment again and some postgame fireworks. There will be a giveaway, a great all-star poster. So there's a lot of fun things going on, a lot of things to get involved in. Um, and on top of that, we have some great players being involved. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and the fireworks shows are always great, and they have them out there every Saturday game, am I right? Right, every Saturday, and the occasional holidays, July 3rd, 4th, and this past Sunday. We just had them for Town of Ramapo Day. Yeah, so obviously it sounds like a lot of fun, and if anybody who's listening wants to buy tickets or find out more about the bowlers, how would they do that? Everything is on our website. We like to direct everyone there. It's www.rocklandboulders.com, or you can call us and our sales team at 845-364-0009. And, of course, all of our social media platforms is a great way to see what's going on in the upcoming week. Okay, so as far as the social media platform, let's can you give about the Boulders Twitter handle so people can follow them? The Twitter handle is 
at Rockland Boulders without the O in Rockland. So it's R-C-K-L-A-N-D Boulders. Yeah, we like to switch it up on people, keep everyone on their toes. Yeah, you have to keep people on their toes, especially, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to that. My Twitter handle is a little confusing, so I can relate to the Rockland Boulders situation. <laughs> all right, Julie, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, that was Julie Trainer from the Rockland Bowlers front office. Again, if you want to go to the All-Star Game or just get, check out a game in Rockland in general, go to their website, rocklandbowlers.com, for information about tickets and all that good stuff, including their excellent promotion schedule. Again, I've been there. The park is beautiful. It's a great place to see some baseball. And if you're a disgruntled fan like myself who may be a little frustrated and doesn't want to get up live baseball this year, that's an option for you. I highly recommend it. Up next, this week's two-minute drill. We're going back to the hardwood for a bit. I am going to break down the New York Knicks, what's happening with their offseason, and why I don't think it's a disaster that they didn't get Kevin Durant. All that coming up right after this. I wish that Durant and Kyrie had gone somewhere else other than the Nets, but... The Knicks, to me, signing a guy and making him the savior when you've got basically nothing on the roster right now and paying him $140 million for four years or three years, essentially, because he comes off an injury, to me, wasn't the smartest thing to do. But today still stings, and I don't know exactly why. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. You just heard WFAN's Greg Giannotti, a noted Knicks fan, with his reaction to the free agency happenings of last night. And we already been over at the beginning of the show. We already talked to Phil Watson about how the Nets are the big winners. Many consider the Knicks to be the big losers of the free agency period. This all goes back to February when they make the trade to send Christos Porzingis to the Mavericks along with the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee to get back the picks, but more importantly, clear the cap space to sign the two max free agents. And we thought back then the Knicks plan was clear. Tank to get Zion Williamson, get the number one pick in the draft, sign Kevin Durant, sign Kyrie Irving, you have your new big three in the garden. And what happens? They got none of them. As we know, the Knicks lose the lottery. Zion's is a Pelican replacing Anthony Davis. The Knicks instead get R.J. Barrett with number three pick. Two-year deals for Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington. That's the Nick offseason so far. Now, there are reports out, and the Knicks quickly put out a statement yesterday. They leaked it that they did not want to give Kevin Durant a max deal due to concerns over his Achilles injury. Now, do I buy that they were not willing to give him a max? Probably not. There have been enough smoke around the Knicks and Durant for weeks and weeks and weeks that this, to me, screams, you know what? Let's cover our butts here. We didn't get the guy. We don't look embarrassed, so we'll put it out there that we didn't want him because of an injury concern. The Knicks also have done things that I think are very smart this offseason. They did not get involved in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes, which would have meant emptying the cupboard of every asset they had. The three pick, which turns to R.J. Barrett, would have gone to New Orleans. Mitchell Robinson would have gone to New Orleans. Kevin Knox would have gone to New Orleans, along with probably all the picks they got from Dallas, all in that deal. They didn't do that. They decided not to use their cash base to help out the Houston Rockets and take on Chris Paul's massive contract, which, again, unless you're getting massive sweeteners in that deal, you're not doing it. And the Knicks did not do that. What have they done instead? It's not terrible. 
Now, we've heard the Stephen A. Smiths of the world go on rants about how this is a disaster and has the worst stay in Knicks history. We heard a lot of fans whining on Twitter that James Dolan needs to sell the team, that they're a disaster, and they'll never win. You know what? Did they really mess up that badly? I'll admit, I'm a Knicks fan. Losing KD stinks. And watching him and Kyrie go to Brooklyn and try and help the Nets win a championship, that's not going to be fun. But remember... Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles injury, and those can be killers for basketball players. KD's going to be 32 when he comes back off this injury. He's already getting towards the end of his prime. You put him on this roster, which right now, before the signing of these guys, had pretty much nothing on it. Where does that get you? Where are you going with him by himself? You're not going very far. So you know what? Not getting him and not throwing your max cap space away on a guy who may not be the same player after this injury. If he's 80% of Kevin Durant, is that enough to help you? If you're the Knicks, might not be because you need more pieces on this roster. What they're doing right now is actually very, very smart. They did not do a typical Knicks move and say, you know what? We missed out on Durant. We need to do something big. Quick, go to the Marcus Cousins agent. We'll give him a max contract right now. They didn't do that. They are spending what they have to, and they're not tying up the cap long-term with overpaid veterans. They got Julius Randle. His deal is reported three sixty-three, three years, $63 million, but the third year is a team option. So they can opt out of that deal if he's not living up to expectations. Bobby Portis, two years. Wayne Ellington, two years. Taj Gibson, two years. They are spending the money they have to to basically get to where they are. They're not tying up long-term things. They're bringing in some young players of promise like Randall and Portis. And in two years, they're going to max cap room again. And there's not worth having cap room next summer. Because next summer, the free agent class is really weak. The only guys in it are Davis, who's probably going to L- back to L.A. with the Lakers, and Draymond Green, who is not leaving the Warriors anytime soon. So there's no point in one-year deals to tie up your cap room. These two-year deals, it gets you a 2021 when you have this group of guys potentially hitting free agency. You have the king of them all, the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have Bradley Beal coming off the Wizards. Russell Westbrook and Paul George could both be gone from the Thunder. You have restricted free agents like Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox also in the mix here. Now the Knicks do have some intriguing young pieces. They have R.J. Barrett. They have Mitchell Robinson. They have Kevin Knox, Alonzo Trier, Kadeem Allen. Let these guys develop a little bit. Let them grow into becoming good players and build a good culture around here. Use your assets to get more young players and build a winning culture, kind of like what Brooklyn did. They didn't panic after they blew the uh, Kevin Garnett trade and gave their entire future to the Celtics for a few years. Sean Marks came in, slowly rebuilt, Brought in young guys, did what he had to do to get assets in the building, and three years after they missed the, they made the playoffs the last time with that core, they were able to land Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Let David Fisdale and Scott Perry build that culture right now that attracts these stars. In 2021, if you let them do their job, and it sounds like all accounts James Dolan is, you are guaranteed to be a much better situation than you are right now. The patience here is key for the Knicks fans. I know Knicks fans have gone through a lot of losing over the years. 
But these guys seem to know what they are doing. And the key thing here is James Dolan is letting them do their their plan. He did not freak out yesterday when Durant didn't sign with them and basically blow up the whole thing and go max out their cash for years and years to come. I think you're better in the long run not having a 32-year-old coming off a torn Achilles by himself as the face of the franchise. I think Knicks are doing fine here. It stings right now, but in 2021, they'll be in much better shape to be using that cash base to get max free agents to come to the Garden. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Phil Watson, for calling in to talk all about the Brooklyn Nets and what's going to look like for them going forward after their big free agent splurges. I also want to thank Julie Trainer for calling in to talk about the Rockland Boulders and some of the unique perspectives that working for an independent baseball league team provides. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my reaction to the draw at Wimbledon over the weekend, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Just search for Just and the Suffering in any of those platforms, and you will find the episodes there. All 55 at this point, so there's a lot of good stuff over the archives. Feel free to check it, check it out as we go. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make the show even better going forward. You also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag GoodIrrelevant. If you made it to the end of this week's show, again, hashtag good irrelevant in reference to the New York Yankees. Next week, we're going to talk some more baseball. We are going to have baseball coverage at the All-Star break. I'm going to be joined by the baseball beat, Will Schneiderhan, Anthony Sorbellini, to break down where we are at with the league at the break and all that good stuff. Also going to have a summer movie update with our resident film critic, Jonathan Stanko. He's popping by. We're going to talk about some of the big movies that come out and... We'll get some of the big ones that have yet to come out this summer and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Mets fans. (laughs) 